Jesus answered him and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We would know you, the biblical you, the real you, the you as you reveal yourself to the world. Father, I pray this morning that you would shock us afresh by the radicalness of your claims and who you are, that we might bow the knee and give ourselves to you afresh, for we pray it in your name. Amen. As followers of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called, our calling and our identity is to be ambassadors for Christ, to represent Jesus to the world, to speak his word into a fallen and broken and lost world, to be his ambassadors in what we say and in how we say it. And the issue for us If you bear the name Christian, in other words, you bear the name of Christ, the issue is not, will you be an ambassador for Jesus? The the issue is whether you will be a good ambassador or a bad ambassador. Whether we will represent him well or whether we will represent him poorly. As I listen to the debates, and you've seen it, you know, as the changes are taking place in our culture and, and the church is being questioned and challenged, you know, I was called and interviewed. Some of you saw a couple of quotes in the paper, but there were, there were a dozen pastors across the city being, being called and asked questions and articles. There was a series of articles written. The last one I saw was on church discipline and how the church still does it. And there are these conversations and debates going on. And if you look at the, some of the things that people who are quoted are saying, and, and, and sometimes they're online. I like to read down some of the comments. Sometimes I am very troubled by the things that people who call themselves Christians say. They sum up all of Jesus' teaching and all the moral teaching of the New Testament in single simplistic cliches. And the problem that I find is I'm reading some of these comments and as you're reading through it, as we sometimes listen, is this, it really comes down to people really don't know what Jesus actually said. I think that's really the issue. I think it is just purely a matter that they really are not aware of of all that Jesus says. They're aware of a couple of things he said, and they quote those things quite with with approbation, but they don't know his word. So they end up representing him with half-truths and stereotypes and generalizations. And they say things about Jesus that are partly true, but it's, it's not the whole truth. And, and by default, we end up presenting this stick figure version of Jesus. You know the stick figure? Glenn and I were on vacation. We were waiting for dinner. In the restaurant, they had placemats and a cup of crayons. The placemat was just a blank piece of paper and crayons. And we sat there and played hangman. While we were waiting for our dinner to come. You know, and in Hangman, we, you know, we determine how many pieces you get. You get the head, the body, the two legs, and the arms, right? It's a, you get the stick figure. You don't get feet and fingers and toes, you know, how far. The stick figure. And as often or not, as I'm, I'm reading these comments of, of the people who call themselves Christians who are commenting on these debates, 
who really have this stick figure picture of Jesus. It just doesn't look like the real thing. It's a caricature. And it, in my mind, it's nothing less than a false image. Right? A false image, an, an idol. Something that is, that is held out there, and it's just not who he really is. It's not the biblical Jesus as he has given himself to us. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're called to speak his word and to represent him as he presents himself. Right? We're not free to represent him as we want to, but he has presented himself as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we hear his words and we hear his claims and we see what he says. And as ambassadors, we're called to represent that Jesus and what he said and did to the world. Jesus reveals himself in the Scripture, in his word, through his words, through his life, which we know only here. And we can only represent him, represent him well if we come to know the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus as he is, the true, he who is the image of the invisible God. And we must know what that image is and, and not be guilty of the stick figure cultural version of Jesus. Because the Jesus we come to know in the Bible is unfortunately, in some respects, offensive. And when these debates come up and the world and the culture are offended, sometimes we begin to scramble on how can we blunt the message? How can we soften the blow? How can we you know, make ourselves palatable and acceptable to a world who is looking at us and demanding answers and, and, and demanding that we, that we look more like they do? Jesus was so offensive to the religious culture of his day that they literally beat him to a pulp and nailed him to a cross and had him die a slow, criminal's torturous death. And the temptation for ambassadors to want to soften this blow so that we don't seem offensive, so that Jesus doesn't seem offensive. But unfortunately... His message is, I want us to feel the offense. I think Jesus wants us to feel the offense. You listen to the things that Jesus said, and he, he, just was, he was just out there. He was just frank and bald and abrasive and just saying the truth about himself as it is. Now let me clarify Jesus' ambassadors are not to be offensive. I think one of the mistakes the church makes is that we become offensive. We are not to be offensive. We are to be gentle and humble of heart like he is. And we are to be as gracious and as winsome and humble in our approach. And if something is going to be offensive, it should not be us. It should not be our attitude. It should not be our tone of voice. It should not be our spirit. It should be the message. If anything should offend, it should be the words of Jesus themselves, the claims of Jesus Himself. Now, I'm going to make what is at first blush this morning what may sound blasphemous. I'm going to ask you to hold, hold on. I, Jesus was perhaps the most egotistical, narrow-minded, self-centered human being that ever walked our planet. The most egotistical, narrow-minded, self-centered 
human being that ever walked our planet. Now, we have a lot of negativity attached to those terms. And I'm going to ask you first, before you start gathering stones or running for the hills or gathering sticks and piling them, uh, to, to hear me, give me another 20 minutes to try and explain this. But we attach a lot of negative ideas to those. But if you could strip away, there are a lot of words that when applied to human beings are very negative because we're creatures. And they have very negative connotation for us, and they are sinful for us. But when you apply some of those same words to God, you must strip away all those human ideas, negativity, sin, and failings, and allow them to stand indifferently. God is a jealous God. Usually when we're jealous, usually that's a negative thing. But God is a jealous God in all the right, all the truest, all the holiest ways. And that's another sermon for another time. But... The text before us, I think, embodies all three of these, egotistical, narrow-minded, and self-centered. In the best sense of those, and let me try to give a good sense to those words for you this morning, because this may be the most offensive thing that Jesus ever said in verse 6. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And in case you don't fully get the implications of those, Jesus says, let me... Let me, let me be clearer. No one comes to the Father except unless they come through me. Right? The context is that Jesus is leaving. He's, this is the night before he is arrested and tried and crucified. He's returning to the Father and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he spends this evening with them and the disciples want to come. They don't understand why he's leaving and they, wherever Jesus is going, they want to go too. And so they're asking him, you know, we don't know the way Jesus, tell us how to follow you. We're not done following you. We want to follow you. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way to the Father. I am the living embodiment of the truth about God, uh, of all truth. I am spiritual and eternal life. No one can get where I'm going except they come through me. In other words, no one can get to God. No one can be saved. Except, he says, through me. And I, and I want to say this is egotistical in this sense. Not, again, in the negative sense of pride or boasting. But if you will let me define the word in its bare descriptive way, is simply this. Having a very high view of oneself. Right? A very high view of oneself. A high sense of self-importance without arrogance. Jesus announces to them, and he announces to the world, not just here, but throughout the entire New Testament, he announces his cosmic importance to every human being. Now, it would be inappropriate for you or I, normal human beings, but it's very appropriate for the Son of God. He says, I am the way. He uses that construction, the Greek, ego, a me. I am the way. The way. I am the truth. The definite articles are in the Greek. He says, I am, and that is reflective of the Old Testament, isn't it? The Old Testament name of God, that ego, I am me, that Jesus uses all the time in context that give this, this intimation of his identity with the Father, with God himself. And, and that identity goes on because the three things that he names then there, the way, the truth, and the life, all three of those things belong to God. We've said this before. These are the prerogatives of God. 
the way to God. Nobody gets to God unless God wants them to come to him. Right? No one, we can't as human beings create a ladder and climb to heaven. Right? If there's a way to God, God is the giver of the way. Right? The, the, the truth, the embodiment of cosmic truth, of the truth about God or the truth about salvation or the truth as it is, this is God's domain. He is the arbiter of truth. He is the life. Right? We are, we die. Life is given, it's derivative, we live and then we die. These things all belong, God is the giver of life. He is spiritual and eternal life. And Jesus takes these things to himself. He has this very high view of himself. He does, he has a very high view of who he is and what he claims for himself. It's very consistent there in your bulletin under the first, second point. He says in John 8, you are of this world, I am not of this world. He sets himself apart from every other human being. You guys are of the world, but I am not of the world. He sets himself apart, and he does it very consistently. At another point, he says, the whole Bible is about me. You search the scriptures daily. You think in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that speak of me. He thinks the whole Bible was written about him. That's a very high view of oneself. He says things like, I and the Father are one. He says things like, I shared glory with the Father before the world was created. He says things like, I have the water of life, and if you drink of it, eternal life will spring up within you and you'll never die. He says things like, I am the light of the cosmos. I'm the light, I light up universes. And if you would believe in me, you would never walk in darkness. You would live in light. He says things like, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll live. I am the door into the people of God, into the presence of God. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you see, if these things are not true about Jesus, right? we have to dismiss him as a nutcase. They are extravagant, wild, crazy, egotistical, high view of self things to say. And if, if these things are not true, he is confused, he's muddled. If he's not the bread of life, you know, if, he, if the whole Bible is not about him, there's something seriously wrong going on. But he says, but if any one of these things is true, any one of them, I am the bread of life, and if you eat of me, you will live eternally. I am the light of the cosmos. If you would believe in me, Right? The whole Bible is about me. It's written about me and my coming and my life and my death and my resurrection. If any one of these things is true, then Jesus is like no other man. Any other human being makes these wild statements. It's a sign of insanity, delusions of grandeur. But in Jesus, they're not delusions. They're not even exaggerations. His high view of himself is very accurate. He's not boasting. You know, he's simply introducing himself. He's simply letting us know him. He is defining reality accurately. You think of President Obama. If, if you were the head of some small 
civilization hidden, tucked away somewhere in the world, and you didn't, never had any contact with the outside world, and they find you, and you're, you're the chieftain of this little uh, this enclave, and so they take you and they bring you to the UN. And in one of the meet and greets before one of the great meetings, you're, you bump into President Obama. And you're having a conversation with him, and obviously from the things the guy's saying, the guy doesn't know who Obama is. And at one point he may say, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, I am the leader of the free world. I, I am I'm the head of the, the, the most powerful nation on the planet. Not only that, I am, I am the head of the wealthiest nation on the planet. And in very certain contexts, it wouldn't be boasting and it wouldn't be bad, but he, would, he could say, I, I could get you billions of dollars in aid. I could surgically, I could surgically have our military destroy your military capability in the world. You know, I could, in the right context, he may need to articulate that. I believe in the current context on the world stage, he said some of those things. It's, it's egotistical in the sense that it's a very high view of, of the capabilities and who he is and who we are. But he is simply introducing himself letting us know him, defining reality in an accurate way. If, if these things are true, the most gracious and loving thing that Jesus could do is to give, him, give us an exalted vision of who he is, if they're true. If Jesus is the Son of God and the Lord of life and death, the Savior of the world, he's not boasting. He's introducing himself to the world. But many in the world will find it offensive for Jesus to claim these things for himself. He's also narrow-minded. It's fascinating to see people grasp hold of Jesus' larger-than-life love. Right? They they grasp hold of Jesus' loving, so of course this and that and Jesus' love, and, and they apply it and begin to work that out in ways that are inconsistent with the rest of Jesus' message. They think if you, if you can say that Jesus has larger-than-life love, they assume because of this, because he's supremely loving, he must be supremely broad-minded. Thank you. <clears throat> My allergies are a perennial concern. They think because Jesus is supremely loving that he's going to be supremely broad-minded. In fact, that's the way the world often defines love. Doesn't our culture kind of do that? Jesus is loving, and therefore, anything goes almost. Anything can be reconciled to Jesus because he loves people, and he would never be mean to them. He would never tell them they're wrong. He would never tell them that what you're doing is sinful. He would never, he would never box anybody out. He would never you know, box any other religions out or that kind of thing. He would accept a broad spectrum of truth claims and religious experiences and moral values, right? He's supremely loving. He must be supremely broad-minded. But love doesn't work that way. Not if there's an objective and true reality, right? Because love would speak the truth. And if your morality or your lifestyle or your beliefs or whatever else it is doesn't line up with reality, The loving thing to do is to tell you, which is what Jesus does. 
He doesn't wink at lies and misconceptions and falsehoods and these things. Jesus tells the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. The one who is the truth declares emphatically, no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say he's one of the ways to get to the Father. Try me if that doesn't work. Try whatever else is being offered out there. He doesn't offer himself as one of the ways to get right with God. He offers himself as the way. There in your bulletin in John 3.36, and, and, and in case some people will read this verse, and then you'll hear some people kind of play loose and fancy and try to explain. I'm going to quote one more verse to back up what Jesus said and say there are easily a dozen. I had a bunch of them on here, and for time, <clears throat> as you can see, I took them off. Jesus says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I am the way and the truth. I'm the way to the Father and to eternal life. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son, he says, will not see life. God's wrath remains on him. That might be the most narrow-minded thing I have ever heard. A human being utter. It's not politically correct. It's not going to win any tolerance awards. It's offensive to the pluralist culture that we live in. But if it's true, it's the most loving thing that Jesus could possibly say. What did his disciples think coming out of it? I'll just read a couple more verses. Uh, Peter speaking into another religion. He's standing before the Sanhedrin. That is, he's standing before the Jewish leadership of his day. And he's speaking as a follower of Christ to Judaism about his understanding of how Jesus fits into the world and world religions. And his statement is this. It's there in your bulletin. Acts chapter 4, he says there is salvation in no one else. No one comes to the Father but by him. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way. Or John, 1 John, when John is summarizing some of this and relating it in one of his letters, he says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. He's simply quoting Jesus, right? He's simply quoting Jesus. To have the Son is life. To not have the Son is to not have life, right? This is what ambassadors do. Ambassadors know the word and message of the one they represent, and they represent that message to the world. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you life. If Christians are narrow-minded and confessedly we we are in the sense, but not because we're mean or not because we're intolerant, but because we're followers of Jesus. And And we cannot represent him to the world without quoting him and doing it honestly and fairly to the things that he said and to the things that he claimed. I think this is why Jesus says in Mark 8, this didn't make it into your bulletin, but he says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And I think that's why Jesus says this. Jesus says this because he understands that his message is to to a world 
that is in rebellion against God, his message is offensive. And it's why he says to his disciples, if you are ashamed, why would we be ashamed of anything Jesus said? Well, because he says hard things. If they weren't hard things, we would never be ashamed of them. There wouldn't be this call. Jesus says that, you know, we, we, if we are not going to be his ad, advocates, his ambassadors, he says that I can't be yours, right? In, in other words, you're not following me. You're not. He's also self-centered. Let me do this very quickly. He says he's, he's, he, he's not only has a very high view of himself and a very narrow-minded view of religion and spirituality, but he's very self-centered in all. The religion of Jesus was all about Jesus. And that's offensive to the world. Because we want our religion, just take it, America wants their religion to be all about them. It wants to be all about my comfort and my lifestyle and what has you done for me lately? What has God done for me lately? They want their religion. The world we live in wants a religion that's all about them. But Jesus comes to them with a religion that's all about him. He is king. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is the giver of life. He is the master. He is the one to whom you bow the knee. Every, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? He, he offers himself like Buddha comes and offers the eightfold holy path. Muhammad comes and he offers the five pillars. Moses comes and he offers the law. Jesus comes and he offers literally himself. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. I will bring you to the Father. Right? I will save you from yourselves. I will save you from your sin, which is in John 8. It's there in your bolt. And he says, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Right? Which is a very self-centered. You must believe that I am he, that I am who I say I am, that I am the son of God, that I am the savior, that I have come. He says, whether we'll die in our sins, the key to salvation from our sins is to believe in the one who bore our sins in his own body on the cross. To bring us to God. To do away with all that stood in the way. Jesus says, everyone who believes in me. Right? It's a center, he's the center of his own religion. Everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question, isn't it? Underneath and past all of this, and, and it's what the world bumps up against, all these claims and things that Jesus says. And this is the issue. Jesus says, everyone who believes in me will never die. You will live. And then he says, do you believe this? And that is the dividing line of the world. You can take Jesus and all that he says and represents himself to be and his claims and the offer of the salvation and life in him. He says, you can believe it and you can take it or you can reject it. But let us not misrepresent him. Let's not dumb him down. Let's not water him down. He stands as the Lord and King over all he has made. And he stands before the human race and he says, come. He came to that which was his own. And he calls us to faith in himself. The question for you and me, just as it is for the world, is do you believe this? Is this the Jesus you know? This uncompromising, this 
Lord, this king, this, as Thomas, when he finally figures out and he, and he falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And those are our options. Do you believe this? Embrace Jesus as your Savior, your Lord and your King or not. But Jesus is offensive in that, his, that he leaves it like this. He says, it's my way or it's the highway. Do you believe this? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus calls us to be Jesus-centered, but he does it for our sake and not for his. It doesn't do anything for him when we recognize who he is, when we come to him and give ourselves to him. He calls us to be Jesus-centered, not for his sake, but for ours. If he truly is, if knowing him and loving him and trusting him is in fact the way to the Father, if he is the truth and if he is the giver of life, then the most loving thing that Jesus could do is clearly explain to us who he is and call us to himself. At the heart of everything Jesus says is this promise of life. Right? Jesus has come to me and live. The promise, even in this text, is that's very exclusive in its statement is the invitation. Come to me, I'm the way. I'm truth, I'm life. I will bring you to the Father. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. Believe in God and believe also in me. I'll go and prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Jesus doesn't make any of his wild statements to exalt himself or to alienate others. He he makes these statements always as an introduction and as an invitation. I am the light of the cosmos. And if you believe in me, you will never walk in darkness. Come. Come. John says in his letter, the opening lines of 1 John, he says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And this fellowship is the essence of Christianity. It's it's fellowship with God the Father through the Son. Is this your fellowship this morning? Have you come to the Father through the Son? Jesus is the way. Will you put your faith in Him? Bow the knee and embrace Him as the way, the truth, the life. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see You as You really are. To see you in the full extent of your glory. As the light of the world and the bread of life. As the resurrection of the life. As the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. As the one who might deliver us from our sins. Who would be our savior. Who would bring us to the father. Who would sit at the right hand of the father in glory. And reign over the circle of the earth. And in the hearts and the minds and the lives of your people. Oh, bring us to our knees again. Let us see you. Let us embrace you. Let us worship you with our whole lives. For we ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen.